Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Find your way to Exodus chapter 8. <clears throat> Continuing on our journey through Exodus, we have been looking at how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. Today we are entering into that portion of Exodus that deals with the third plague of God on Egypt. Why are these plagues coming on Egypt? We've looked at these plagues are a result of Pharaoh's refusal to obey God. These plagues are a result of Egypt's worship of many false gods and uh, idolatry. Uh, They view Pharaoh as a god. We're going to look at that a little bit more specifically today. These plagues are coming on Egypt specifically because Pharaoh, king of Egypt, refuses to obey God and is refusing to let God's people, the children of Israel, go from the land of Egypt. They have been in captivity there for hundreds of years at this point. Uh, several pharaohs along the way, I think, we've, I think this is our third pharaoh, if memory serves correctly. Uh, several pharaohs along the way, and this one is refusing to obey God. God has said, let my people go that they may worship me. And this pharaoh says, I will not let them go. I do not know the Lord. I will not obey him. So he is refusing to obey God. And the plagues are coming on Israel for this reason. I think it's important for us to recognize that as we work through, we're on the third of ten plagues. It's very important for us to recognize. As God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people, he is also executing his judgment on his enemies and the enemies of his people. As God delivers, redeems, and and dwells with his people, he is executing his judgment on his enemies. You're like, well, man, doesn't God love everyone? Yes, but God does not love everyone the same way. And that is a thought for us to reconcile as we work through all of the scripture, but especially as we work through Exodus, God is being just in his judgment on Egypt. Something to keep in front of us, especially as we work toward the escalation of the plagues as they happen. Last week... We looked at the plague of the frogs. We were on the corner, and thankfully we were not joined by any frogs. You remember when I said to you, I'm going to look and see if there's some kind of connection with the frogs of Egypt, the plague of frogs, and some negative connection. Does everybody, everybody that was there, do you remember me saying this to you? Well, because I and this is not to gloat, because I prepare my own sermons. I don't go out online. I don't download. They're not sent to me. I labor in the word to be able to teach. I believe that's what God has called me to do. Because of that, sometimes I miss things. Sometimes I don't pay careful enough attention. Sometimes I don't do enough research. Typically, I don't back up to talk about a a previous sermon, but this one is actually extremely important. So uh, the frogs, I did some research, did some reading, and several commentaries like to talk about this. In fact, you can go outside of the Bible, and you can find the same information. It's fascinating. Ancient Egypt had a goddess. Not exactly sure how it was spelled. The two spellings I found were H-E-K-T or H. E-Q-E-T. I'm running with the pronunciation of Hect. So if you're keeping track, we had the god of the Nile that was happy. And we've got the god of, goddess of the frogs that is Hect. 
Philip Graham Ryken in his commentary on Exodus, drawing from James Montgomery Boyce's work, I'm careful to give acknowledgement to their scholarship. This is not my own. I'm thankful for men that have dug deep and done a lot of research that helped me. Drawing on Boyce's work, Ryken writes that Hecht was the spouse of the creator god, mm, K-H-N-U-M. Let's go with Noom. Does that sound is that agreeable for everyone? Let's go with the creator god of Noom. This is in ancient Egypt. Quote, the Egyptians believed that Noom fashioned human bodies on his potter's wheel and that Hecht breathed into them the breath of life. She was the agent of life-giving power and also the symbol of fertility, end quote. Okay, you have the picture? The ancient Egyptians believed in a creator god, Noom, who fashioned life on his potter's wheel, and then this goddess, Hecht, breathed into them, and they became living beings. This is not what the people of God believe. In fact, Israel, being in Egypt at this time, fully well knew creation. And God formed from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils and man became a living being. The Egyptians believed that this God created bodies, but he could not give life to them. He just made the bodies. And so what's he got a stack of lifeless piles of earth and clay? And then this goddess would come along and she would breathe life into them. She is a symbol of fertility in ancient Egypt, and she is embodied by the frog. And somebody just said, so? So, God made the Egyptians and made Pharaoh to utterly despise that which was an object of worship. I almost threw today's sermon into the next week file and went back to preach that one, because I know that all of us have, have had or do have other gods in our life that we do worship. And the point is, God will bring them to an utter stench in your nostrils. In the light and magnitude of himself, God will lay waste every idol that stands opposed to him. And so, as God brings frogs upon the land, there may have been in the nation of Egypt, there may have been a, look, our land is so fertile because of the goddess Hecht. Look at all these frogs. And then there are more frogs. And remember what the Bible says? They were jumping into the beds. And they were jumping into the bedrooms. And they were getting into the kneading bowls. And they were getting into the ovens. And there are frogs everywhere. And, and Pharaoh says, get them out of here. He's already loathing the image of this goddess. Get them out. And what does God do in his, in his supernatural divine way? He doesn't just make the frogs disappear, which you can bet Pharaoh wanted to have happen. God just kills them. So now they have heaps, the Bible said. And several of you commented, it was interesting, several commented to me personally saying, that's such a descriptive and disgusting word. Heaps of dead frogs. God now kills all these frogs and leaves heaps of this image of this goddess in Egypt dead in the land. There's the post last week sermon, sermon for you as we move into this week's. God and Pharaoh despised these frogs get them out when there was rest. However, verse 15, Pharaoh saw that there was a respite. He hardened his heart and would not listen. Would you read with me today? Exodus chapter 8, four short verses, 16 through 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. 
Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God, thankful to gather and worship, thankful to sing your praise, to pray and seek your help, to honor you in ways that you have identified in your word that your people should worship. Father, we pray that this has been pleasing. Now we come to a moment where every person here is in need of the help of your spirit. Father, myself, to receive what you have for us, but also to communicate what you have for us. Father, those listening, to receive what you have for them. I pray that God today as a church would be edified and strengthened, encouraged and convicted through the preaching and teaching of your word this day. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, but that you would also speak to me. Father, I pray that as we work through your word today, as we learn from you, I pray, Father, that the sinner would be humbled to repentance and salvation. I pray, Father, that holiness would be promoted among your people, and I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ would be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I entitled the sermon, The Finger of God. You already saw it right down there in verse 19. I mentioned it last week. The magicians have to admit this power, this is the finger of God. My aim from today's text is to highlight, I cannot go into deep discussion on it because we would have to use, indeed, all of the scripture. My aim today is to highlight the power and relevance of the living God. The power and relevance of the living God. He is most powerful and he is most relevant. He is not relevant only to those who would believe in him. He is relevant to those who do not believe in him. He is alive, powerful, and relevant. You'll notice right in the beginning of our text today, verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. It's hot, especially in this room. Still warm outside. How many of you just love when you come into an area and there's this strange scientific phenomena of gnats? Right? Everywhere. Those who have any sort of thing resembling a farm, from the hobbyist to the, 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 the professional, you probably experience gnats on a more common basis than a lot of other folks. However, if you go down to Byron's Park and walk along the river or spend any amount of time at the pavilion, gnats, what's the first thing? Think about it. I want you to think about this. This is extremely relevant to our understanding. What's the first thing you start doing when, when just a couple gnats fly? It's already, it's already everybody. Got to get these things. Right? We go not, We go crazy. We got to get these things out of here. And the Lord God said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth. The best we understand this, he took his staff and dunk the, 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 the ground. The Bible says in the dust of the earth, became gnats. What is that to say? Later we're going to see where Moses and Aaron, they're going to throw soot 
from a fire in the air, right? Not all of the soot that they could find, but they just threw a handful. What does that mean? Did the, did the dust rise? What happened? He just, and God supernaturally causes the dust of the ground to become gnats. Think of the worst situation you have ever been in with gnats. I want you to have this image in your mind as we talk about the Egyptians today. Think of the worst situation ever. I am a fan of history. I've traveled uh, to different American battlefields for the Civil War, and one that I've had the pleasure of going to is Antietam down in Maryland. And there is a sector of the Antietam battlefield known as the Sunken Road, where very terrible and bloody fighting happened, uh, what, almost 160 years ago right now, September 1862. And I was able to be in the Sunken Road and to walk this corridor of death and this weird, it was weird and ooky to me. I was just like, what is this? This is so strange. But like if you went down in this sunken road, which is like, the ground is like up here. You're not like way. As you went down into it, there were gnats everywhere. When you got up on the side, there were no gnats. It was just strange. I'm like, what? This is, this is just eerie because we knew what had happened there. And I'm not getting this superstition and super weird stuff, but... This whole sunken road was full of them. And maybe it had something to do with the lower ground and maybe it was more wet than the higher. I don't know. I don't know. Worst situation I've ever been in with gnats. Like it was, it, to me, it was Egypt gnat level. Like you just, they're thick. And maybe you've got something like that that you can picture in your mind as we think about this. Look what it says about the gnats. They did so, says it twice. And the gnats were on man and beast. The end of verse 17. The end of verse 18. So there were gnats on man and beast. Do you understand they just went to next level on your worst gnat experience? On them. It's bad enough when they're on them. Like, get, what in the, like, you can't focus. I go crazy. Gnats drive me up a wall. It says he strikes the dust of the earth. It becomes gnats and the gnats come up on the land. I want us to observe a couple of things before we move on and talking about these gnats. One, I want you to notice that it says, verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand and going on. Yeah, Pastor, you said that, and you said we were going to look at something different for a second. We are. I want you to notice what's not in the verses that we just read. We are in the third plague of ten plagues. Does anybody, show of hands, remember how the first one started? I'll help you. And the Lord God said to Moses and Aaron, rise early and go out to Pharaoh as he goes to water. Right? The first one. And what happens? Strike the water, all the water in the land becomes blood. The second plague, the frogs we looked at last week. And it says, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, go into Pharaoh and say. And the third one, the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats. No, no go to Pharaoh early. No go to Pharaoh at all. Simply just the judgment of God through his agents. No warning. Like I wonder, it says he saw that there was respite. And can you imagine? There's respite from the waters back to normal. The frogs are dead and gone. I'm Pharaoh. I'm in control. And I'm not letting those people go. And I'm not letting those people go. And, and all of a sudden, can you imagine? Put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of the Egyptians who are just, what do they do, what do, they, what do, they do all day? I don't know. In, in Corinthians, we had a 
Bob the bricklayer and Phil the financial guy. And I guess we have to think of a couple guys for Exodus. But they're the Egyptians. They're out there doing things that Egyptians do. And all of a sudden, just... What in the world? And they're all losing their minds because that's what happens when swarms of gnats come on us. I will not let them go. I'm Pharaoh. All the frogs are gone. Finally, there's rest in the land and get these gnats out of my face. No, this plague comes on them with no warning, with no, Pharaoh, let them go that they may serve me or I will. None of that. I want to point this out. God doesn't owe you any warning that his judgment is coming upon you. And this is why our life before God must be lived in a holy manner according to his word, because you do not want the unexpected judgment of God. Read in the scriptures and find an example anywhere where the unexpected judgment of God comes on anyone and it's anywhere near pleasant. That's what's going to happen. Christ tells us of the end of time. In last things, Christ tells us, suddenly, like labor pains on a pregnant woman, when people are saying peace, destruction will come. That is going to happen. As we read about the Egyptians experiencing this right here, we now have a frame of context for our own day that the unexpected judgment of God could come at any moment, and it will be worse than gnats ever thought of being. He does not say, go to Pharaoh early. He does not say, thus says the Lord, let my people go. He simply brings his judgment. He tells Moses and Aaron, verse 17, starts with a simple phrase, and they did so stretched out his hand, gnats on man and beast. Gnats. In most Bibles, raise your hand if your Bible says the word gnats in the room today. Okay? Almost everyone should be raising your hand. If you didn't raise your hand for gnats, then you should be raising your hand for the word lice. Do you have the word lice in your Bible? Right. There's only two words used in pretty much every English translation of the Bible, gnats and lice. Well, you know what this has done for us? We have a distinction between gnats and lice, don't we? They're not the same bug for us. Well, maybe it wasn't the same bug for them either, but gnats and lice are the two words that were used. And as they research in the ancient languages, they come to find out that what they were talking about was swarming bugs. Well, we know about lice, they don't swarm. So when that interpretation happened, those who translated the word into lice felt that it was the best word to give that biblical translation. We still get the point, don't we? Who loves it when their kid comes home from school? and says, I got this note. And you're like, what is it? <sighs> Someone has lice in their class, right? right? It just happens. There's no rhyme or reason for it whatsoever. They just happen. All of a sudden, there's an outbreak of lice on kids. It's still annoying, not swarming. Lice, gnats, it doesn't matter. We're talking about an annoying, obnoxious little thing. Riken speculates, I was reading his commentary this past week, he speculates, quote, gnats, fleas, lice, maggots, midges, sandflies, mosquitoes, and I stopped reading, it was like, all of those are so obnoxious to me. I don't care, pick whichever one you want, I'm irritated that swarms of them came on man and on beast, especially in light of the fact that there's still heaps of frogs that are not eating these things. What a wreck. They did so. And they did so. Verse 17 says, there were gnats on man and beast. The dust of the earth, God makes these gnats just out of the ground. Gnats come upon. Ancient Egyptian history will teach you, as I've said over the last several weeks, that Pharaoh was recognized as a god in Egypt. 
It doesn't really take any type of rocket science or degree for us to understand that through simple understanding of their culture. We understand that Pharaoh was worshipped as a god among a pantheon, a collection of other gods. Pharaoh is considered a god. In ancient Egypt history, they believed that Pharaoh had the ability, this is so important and so fascinating, that Pharaoh had the ability to maintain and bring stability to cosmic order. Big word, cosmic order. You know what that means? Everything. Pharaoh is able to bring stability to cosmic order. I want you to think about what's happening. If you're you're an intuitive person, you're already grabbing. Gnats everywhere. Pharaoh can do nothing about it. And he's the one that they're all looking at saying, like, shake the scepter or throw the orb or do something. You're the God. And he can't do anything. Pharaoh can not do anything. What do we understand as a Christian about cosmic order? What do we understand about who brings stability to all things? I want to point out several verses. I don't know, five or six of them. If you want them later, if I read them too fast, please, I'd be happy to share them with you. They are worshiping Pharaoh as God, the gnats coming upon the land, man and beast, and Pharaoh not able to do anything about them has just shattered their belief in him as a God who can stabilize and bring order to anything. And then as a Christian, we look to the scriptures. And even in their day, they would have been able to consider Genesis 1, 14 through 15, though they would have just known it as the writings of Moses and looked back on it. They would have understood from the stories handed down to them of their ancestors that God created light to separate day from night, that he created light to distinguish seasons and dates and years, That God is the one who created all things. Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says that the fingers of God set the heavens, the moon and the stars. Psalm 104, 5 says that God set the earth on its foundation. Isaiah 40, verse 26, God leads forth the starry host, calling each by name. Matthew 5.45, Jesus says, It is God who causes rain to fall, sun to shine. Colossians 1.16 says that in Jesus Christ, all things hold together. All things hold together. Sustaining, sovereign ruler of the cosmos. Not Pharaoh. Pharaoh has no power over the gnats. He had no power over the frogs. He had no power over the water being turned to blood. And now as the Egyptians for a third time look, I have to think that some of these Egyptians are like, what in the world are we believing in this joker for? This is insufferable. And they're only on three of ten. There are seven more plagues lined up by God's eternal decree coming on Egypt. Like this has, I have not yet even begun. This is just trivial to this point, if you will. The Egyptians were worshiping in ignorance that which they did not know. Worshiping Pharaoh as God, refusing to obey God, refusing to worship God. And here, God is not just challenging. God is not just challenging their false belief. Their false beliefs are under direct 
frontal assault by the power and relevance of the living God. Interesting. Strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats. This should cause us to think about the dust of the earth. God can do whatever he wants with his creation. And what does the Bible tell us? One of the first things he did was with the dust of the earth. And he, from the dust of the earth, formed the man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The earth is the Lord's, Psalm 24 says, and the fullness thereof. We are wise to recall and to keep in mind that God can exercise whatever power he deems necessary over his creation. It should be astonishing to us. You'll remember the disciples in the boat when God said to the water, the Lord Jesus Christ, shh, be still. And they said, what manner of person is this? That even the wind and the waves obey. They recognized they were standing in the power of the one who had created the winds and the waves. The Lord says, stretch out your hand, strike the dust. The dust rises up. It's on man. It's on beast. And here comes the clown posse. Verse 18. The magicians, look what it says, tried. Could you imagine? What was that picture like? Somebody get those doggone magicians in here. They couldn't get rid of the blood, but they did make more water blood, I think. They didn't get rid of the frogs either, but they sure did make some more, I think. Get those guys in here and see if they can do something about these gnats, right? That's the level we get to. Just admit it. Don't look at me like I'm crazy and I'm the only person that hates gnats in my face. Here comes the clown posse. They tried. They tried. How? how? You guys going to do something or what? What did he do? He hit the ground. He's, okay. And, and nothing's happening at this point. Why? God has all power over all things. He's never at a loss of power. He's never in a need to grow in power. He has all power and he has cut them off. No, no, no. <laughs> no, they cannot, says they tried, and they cannot. To consider these guys in this moment, right? Let's just think about them, and let's think about ourselves. These guys threw staffs down in the ground that became snakes. They got eaten. The power of God. These guys turned more water into blood. But they couldn't reverse it. They made more frogs come on the land. But they couldn't get rid of them. And here they are now. <clears throat> like, were they just, were they going, were these guys like the worshipers on Mount Carmel with Elijah just freaking out in front of their altar saying, burn it, please! Like, they all day long are calling for fire and it's never happening. And it's never happening. They're wailing. And are they trying and trying? They cannot. And they are forced in this moment with gnats swarming and on them everywhere. They are forced. Look at what they say. This is the finger of God. The finger of God. Finger is the right word here. How many of you, we do, as humans, we do. We're not interested in displays of power out of weakness. We're interested in displays of power out of power. If we're going to war with some other country in this world, we want our army to be the biggest and baddest out in the field of battle. 
We're not interested in what drones and espionage is happening out there. We want to see the biggest and baddest military facing whatever forces out there. And here, the Bible says, finger. Like we, the Israelites, let's think about them for a moment. As the gnats are swarming all over the place and they're waiting for the deliverance that God has promised through Moses, they're like, we want to see the hammer of God fall on these guys, not the finger. That word is so intentional. Here demonstrating the immense power of God. And there is no contest with the power, the secret arts, as it says, of darkness. There's no real contest happening. God has all power. Genesis not only tells us about the moon and the stars and the dates and seasons and times, it tells us that God created, it's a Latin phrase, ex nihilo, from or out of nothing. God created, it says the earth was void, empty, nothing. And God said, let there be, this is the power of God, let there be, he simply spoke it. Later in Exodus, whenever we finally make our way to chapter 31, we will read about the commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And the Bible says that God wrote them on tablets of stone with his finger and gave them to Moses. Again, Psalm 8, David declared, The heavens, the moon, the stars are the work of your fingers. God set those things in place with his finger, just exerting no real effort at all as God. Jesus, in Luke chapter 11, refers to casting out demons by the finger of God. Like, the spiritual underworld is no contest for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just, and when we read this in the gospel accounts, how does he do it? Leave. And they leave. In Prophecy of the Last Things, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the end of time, Paul says, man, I love this story too. Paul says there's a figure known as the lawless one whose activity comes by the, whose, whose power comes by the activity of Satan, is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know what he says? Says that Jesus Christ is going to kill him. You know how? The Bible says like this. Paul writing literally that Christ will overcome the power of the lawless one whose activity comes by the power of Satan with the breath of his mouth. Exerting no power. Not trying at all. Not seeing a foe that he's got to really labor against. Which is, <gasps> now we understand when we read breath of his mouth, we understand that to be the word of God. Christ is the word. This is not just breath. There's a lot of symbolism involved here. But the word proceeding from will destroy the enemy of darkness. Here, the powers of these magicians have been made nothing. And they admit by the finger of God. He didn't even try to stop them. He just... Note, God will expose the folly of those who oppose him. The next time these magicians show up, and we're not going to see them very often, and we're not going to see them for a while. It's later in chapter 9. The next time these magicians show up, it's pathetic. Like, they're not going to show up, and they're not going to waltz into Pharaoh's court any longer with any attempt to demonstrate any kind of power. In fact, the next time that we see them, the Bible says they can't even stand before Moses. They've been made nothing. Pharaoh cannot depend on, cannot rely on them any longer. 
in our scripture reading this morning, perhaps you were paying attention. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, you may have heard or seen the names on the screen, Janus and Jambres. If we wanted to say it in the Hebrew, we would say something more along the lines of Yenis and Yambres. But since we're not Hebrew or Greek, we're going to say Janus and Jambres. How many of you have read that passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 before? You've read those names, Janus and Jambres, and you've thought to yourself, who are those guys? And when did they oppose Moses? Because what you did, if you're anything like me, you saw their names and you started scouring index and concordance, and you're like, who is Janus and Jambres in the Bible? Because they're only found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. That's it. Nowhere else. But who else do we have biblical account of as opposing Moses. Several people, and a lot of them are named, but you know who isn't? Egyptian magicians. Janus and Jambres, turns out that Paul doing his work, Paul doing his biblical historicity work in the first century, was able to uncover through ancient writings, the Hebrew writings, and various writings that came forward in his ancestry, he was able to uncover that Janus and Jambres were Egyptians named in Pharaoh's court of magicians. So Paul then brings us, now let's remember, we're in the New Testament, okay? Let's not ever forget that. We're right there with them. This age, New Testament, church age, here we are. Paul is bringing up Janus and Jambres because, well, we learned something about them in our day from what happened in Moses' day. Scripture doesn't leave them alone. He names them. And what does he name them as? He names them as counterfeit. Just as they opposed Moses. They opposed Moses. There are those now who are opposing Christians, opposing even us. In our day, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, and he's saying, I know there's a lot of challenges your way. In Corinthians, Paul writes, I'm going to spend the winter in, in Ephesus, though there are many adversaries to the work that there's an open door for here. No counterfeit power set up against God will succeed. Like, this is important for us. There's so many counterfeit things out there to God right now, and we're so concerned about so many of them. There is not a counterfeit power that's going to succeed against the power of God. All across the Old Testament, I wrote down a few different examples, and maybe you can think of some in your own mind as we think about power asserting itself against God and being laid low by God. So we have this episode right here. First, the blood and the water. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. You know what Exodus 8, 8, 16 through 19 helps me to understand? They didn't make more blood. They didn't make more frogs. They were phonies and shams from the beginning. And here, finally, they're like, we got that. So this is the power of God. We had power, but we don't anymore. They never did. Maybe they exercised something, secret art, something happened. We see this episode here. What else do we see? We see a nation of people shout and city walls fall down. Now I'm talking about the power of God being asserted against his enemy, against his opposers. If every single one of us in here stood facing that wall and yelled as loud as we could and got everyone we know to stand in this room yelling as loud as we could at that wall, it's not falling. That happened by the power of God. God's power through this bizarre, bizarre showing. This is not power through power. This is power through weakness. You should probably write that down. 
This is power through weakness, which we don't deem to be very powerful typically. We see the walls of Jericho fall. One of my favorite accounts in 1 Samuel chapter 5, when the Philistines capture the Ark of God and take it into the temple of Dagon. Gosh, it's one of my favorite stories in, in the Old Testament. They put this trophy of theirs, the Ark of God, in their temple of false god worship, the Philistines. They put it right next to their, their god Dagon. And the Bible says that the next morning when they came into their temple, Dagon's, the statue's on his face. Like they, do-do-do. And they go out, and they come back into the temple the next day, and the statue's on its face before the ark of God. So being good false god worshipers that they are, they polish him up a little bit and put him back up on whatever he was on, and they worship, and they got their stuff, and we got the ark of God, woo, we're better than the Israelites, and they leave. And they come in the next day, and the Bible says that the ark is there, still standing, and Dagon is there, fallen on his face before the ark, broken. The power of God over his enemies. That idol's not sharing space with God. Remember that the ark of God symbolizing the presence and power of God in the nation of Israel. Even in the temple of the false God-worshipping Philistines, God said, no, no power is sharing space with me. I am God. We see it in 1 Kings 18. I already mentioned with Elijah and the Baal worshippers calling to their God, oh, Baal, burn this offering. He can't do it. Elijah just steps back and says, Lord, that all these here may know there's a God. Do your thing. <laughs> Remember that it's not just that fire fell and consumed an offering. It's that fire fell and consumed the offering and the wood that it was on that had been soaked with water and the trench that was around it that was filled with water. All utterly impractical to our thought. All making no sense to our mind whatsoever. And we see the power of God triumphing over counterfeit power. We see it happen with those Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3 who are thrown into the fire. They're dancing around. They're not burned. They're not singed. And the men say, they don't even smell like smoke. They bring them out. And what happened? The unseen power of God confronting the power of the enemies of God. We see it in the Gospels and in the accounts of Acts of the Apostles when Jesus, at the name of Jesus by the Apostles and at the word of Jesus by himself when demons simply flee the people they oppress, the power of God. He did not, there was no shouting, there was no incantation, there was no tromping, there was no marching, there was no shaking, there was no pushing, there was no falling, there was just the power of the eternal Son of God saying, leave. And they left. Please don't send us to the abyss. Please let us, please. They're begging the Son of God to have mercy on them. Man, I think that we could probably learn something from demons, actually. When was the last time you were begging and pleading for the mercy of God in your life or in the life of anyone around you? Please have mercy. No counterfeit power is going to stand all across the book of Revelation. We see the power of God's enemies crumbling before the power of God. But, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen as the Lord had said. The Egyptians viewed Pharaoh as a god who could sustain and maintain stability in the cosmos. They viewed their magicians as those wielding the power of their gods, and now both of those things had been brought to nothing. 
Pharaoh can do nothing about what's happening, and the magicians cannot reproduce what's happening. So they are effectively watching the power of the Egyptian false gods fail in comparison to the power of the Lord God. How? A simple guy on a stick. Not some massive display. Not some triumphant... Just a dunk. The power of God. The relevance of a living God. I wonder, as the Egyptians worshipped and depended on Pharaoh to sustain order in their life, stability in their life, are you depending on something other than God for stability in your life? Let's just take a quick minute and think about stability in our lives. Who doesn't want it? It would be easier for me to say who does not want stability in their life and see that hand, if there was one, than to say, do you want stability in their life? Let me see your hands, right? Every single person you know wants some form of stability in their life. You want to be able to turn to something that is stable in your life. Even if it's only one little safe haven of stability, you want it. But are you depending on God for that stability or are you depending on someone that can do nothing to help you with stability in your life? Are you depending on the fingers that wrote the commandments? Are you depending on the fingers that hung the heavens, that made the stars, hung the moon? Are you depending on the fingers who cast out demons? Or are you depending on your own ability? The ability of somebody around you? Or are you depending on finances or the right job or the right mode of transportation or the right living accommodations? What are you depending on right now for stability in your life? Let's look at it from two aspects. One, this world is utterly unstable. And everybody said, amen. This world is utterly unstable. So if you're looking into the world for any help stabilizing your life, where are you looking? You're looking at nothing. You're looking at nothing that has no power. The world is utterly unstable. It's unraveling. Like, it's every day. It's just unraveling more and more. There's no stability. You know why it's not utterly unraveling and discombobulated? Because Christ holds all things together. The world exists as it does right now because Christ has got his hand on it. Oh, man. Read Revelation if you want to know what happens when Christ takes his hand off of it. Oh. Are you depending on something other than God for stability in your life? Pastor, I think you mean spiritually. Well, yeah, I do. I don't mean necessarily only spiritually, though. Let's face it, we've got needs and necessities in our life, do we not? We, we have a need to eat today. We, we need transportation to go places because that's how our world and our society works. We need finances to be able to do things. We, we need jobs to make finances. We need food, and, right? We have real needs in our lives, don't we? And you know what? The Bible speaks to all of those things that we, the people of God, should recognize and remember that all of those things are the blessing and gift of God to his people and beyond because enemies of God have those things. This is why the parable, consider the lilies of the field, consider the, the, the sparrows. That's why that's so important for us. Are you relying on God for stability with your health? Stability with your relationships? Your finances, your, your living accommodations, your food, your transportation. Are you depending on God for these things? Yes, you have them, and yes, you labor to do them, but are you depending on God? My labor means nothing if you do not help. Are you depending on God for those things? 
Stability cannot be found outside of God, and he warns that even with him, pay attention to this, we'll still have trouble in this world. Those things that we seek to understand that we have some form of stability in our lives, we're still going to have trouble with. God doesn't ever say, just follow me, it'll all be clean. No, we have an eternal hope and an eternal future that outweighs and outcompares everything on this earth. Everything. What is stabilizing you and your everyday needs? Those areas that lack, are you depending and trusting on God to provide them if you need them because he knows if you do or do not? When God does not give you something that you want, do you understand that he knows best for you? I just, I, I wanted to go this way, Lord. Well, for my glory and for my purpose, which we should all be desiring, God wants it to go a different way for you. Okay, Lord, I accept and I depend and I trust upon you in this. Now, what about spiritually? We depend on God for everything, material, needs, possessions, things that are necessary in this life, but also definitely most so spiritually. Nobody would doubt that we depend on the Lord God for spiritual guidance. Are you depending on his word that Psalm 119, 105 says is a light and a lamp to our path? Is your life guided by the lamp and light of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word? Ephesians 4 says that God has given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to the church. I want to remind you, Christian, God has given you the church as a means of stability in your life as his child in this world. This is not something that we just do because we enjoy it. I've said before and I'll say again, this is the most bizarre thing that any group of people could ever do. Unless we are realizing that what we are doing has been provided by God to bring some form of order and stability to our life as his child, that it is for his glory that we gather. The Bible says he gave shepherds and teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers, what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, that we may not be thrown around by false doctrine. Do you know why apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers have been given for the stability of your spiritual life? That you may grow in truth and in relationship with Jesus. It says in Ephesians 4, 12, given so that we may not be thrown around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, and by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Do you understand? Shepherds and teachers in the life of the church. Man, I'm thankful for shepherds and teachers in the life of the church because I need them. Are helping us to be honed in the truth so that when the world, when Janus and Jambres, who oppose the truth, show up to oppose the truth, we recognize it and turn to the Lord our God. Trusting the Lord for stability in our lives causes us to be like trees, Psalms 1 we heard a few weeks ago, to be like trees planted by streams of living water. Janice and Jambres serve as a warning for us that we are to oppose those like them who are opposed to God. The Bible actually says to avoid them. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9 provides really good instruction and help for us in identifying those who are like Janice and Jambres. Verse 1 through 4 of 2 Timothy 3 warns of what people will become 
and have become and to strong words today. I promise you there's a church of fluffy powder out somewhere out there that doesn't want to say these words, but it's not me today. It says to avoid those people. Avoid them. You read through that list in verses 1 through 4 of 2 Timothy 3 of what's going on there, and then consider God's word says to you, avoid them. You all know what that means. You've all got somebody in your life when you see them, you're like, oop, gotta go the other way. God's word tells us as his people, as his children, avoid them. Now Paul gives us some help by saying, I don't mean the godless. I don't mean those in the world. You'd have to go out of the world to avoid all of those people. So there's a connection here between those in the church, those saying, oh, brother, oh, sister, and then defined by those descriptive words in, first, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, avoid them. They have become like those people Avoid them. Like Janice and Jambres, the rest of Pharaoh's magicians, they are fake. They are phony. They've never been following the sound doctrine of God's word. Verse 6 and 7 tells us that among those people who are like Janice and Jambres, they will creep in and lead astray through false teaching weak-minded people in the church. This is why I stand up here and preach the Bible for an hour every single Sunday. I don't want the souls that I'm accountable for to God to be weak-minded and led astray by false doctrine, by false teaching, because the wolves are rampant. I can't counter the amount of wolf howlings that are in your ears all week long in one hour. I couldn't do that if I had one hour every day because the kingdom of darkness does not want you here listening to the truth of God. And so I will rail on the scriptures week in and week out so that you may grow and be strengthened in the truth to know, avoid such people, avoid such people. I must live in love, but I cannot be in fellowship with. I must walk away. I must recognize people who oppose the truth. I must counter false doctrine in my life. People will creep in. I read Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul reminds the leaders of Ephesus, they won't just creep in from the outside. Paul says in Acts 20, verse 28, that fierce wolves will rise up from among you. That's why we teach the Bible so much that no one here may be led astray and become false. It's our responsibility as God's people to know and defend truth, and to guard against those who are false. It is the explicit job of church elders. Please pray for me. Please pray for John Collins. Please pray for other elders that God will bring into our church in the future. Please, please pray that we have the ability, the continued ability by the Spirit of God to instruct in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. We don't want that. For you, here or anywhere, Pastor, I've been listening to this podcast. Probably should stop. I've been reading this book. Don't read anymore. Like, turn to God's word. Like, if you have questions on doctrinal things, please come and ask. I'm happy to work through them with you. I want you to know the pure truth of God's word. I don't want you to see Janice and Jambres turning water into blood, turning more frogs on the land, trying to make gnats, and unable to do anything because their power is fake. 2 Timothy 3 says that there are those who have the form of godliness and will deny its power. They're fake. They are phonies. Have nothing to do with them. Lastly, through faith in Jesus Christ, the power opposed to God in our life is rendered powerless. This is the power 
and relevance of the living God. There are things in us opposed to God. Sin has corrupted everything. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, through faith in him, through his power on the cross, they are brought to nothing. Sin, hell, Satan, powerless. Imposed, entirely opposed to us and entirely powerless before the cross of Christ. Colossians 2.15 says that God has, listen to this word, disarmed the rulers and authorities. This is like there's an army of darkness and God showed up and all of them laid down their weapons and went away disarmed the powers that oppose us, the rulers and authorities. It goes on in Colossians 2.15, and put them to open shame, made a spectacle of them. This is what just happened to Janus and Jambres and the other Egyptian magicians in Exodus chapter 8. Make more gnats. Do something about these gnats. They can do nothing. God has made a spectacle of them. And do you understand that in your life, there are powers opposed to God and God has made a spectacle of them. You're not bound or captive anymore through faith in Jesus Christ. You are set free. Live in the freedom that Christ has brought to your life. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says that through death, Jesus has destroyed, quote, the one who has power over death, that is the devil, end quote, and has delivered, quote, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's what you were. And through Christ's death, you no longer are. You have been set free from lifelong slavery. I was thinking of songs. I do this often as I'm writing sermons and studying scripture. I was thinking about those who may not have understood that the powers in your life opposed to God have been rendered powerless by faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought of the words, lay aside your garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. As we see God humble the false notion that Pharaoh is a God, and as we see him strip the magicians of their secret arts, we can gain faith and reverence God that he, he has all power. We grow in our confidence that God is alive and relevant to us right now because he has all power over all authorities we perceive in this life. God is all-powerful. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. Father, living, powerful, relevant to us now. Father, I pray that by your finger, powers opposed to you and the lives of those gathered here would be laid low. Father, they would recognize and understand and see your power in their lives. Father, that we would see your power in our church. God, I pray that we would see your power, your relevance, the truth that you are living. God, I pray that we'd see it in our community. Father, thank you for your word, for the instruction that it gives us. Thank you, Father, for the encouragement that all counterfeit power will be laid low. Thank you, Father, for the truth that through faith in Jesus Christ, you render the enemy powerless. You are God and you alone. We worship you. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.